It is our privilege again to come under the word of God and receive his instruction and to receive the gospel again of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will do that today by returning in our sermon series to the book of Daniel. We are now in Daniel chapter 9. As you're looking for that, would you please rise out of reverence for the word of God? We're looking at Daniel chapter 9, and we will um, cover the first 19 verses. Please give careful attention to this reading of God's holy and infallible word. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong, and acted wickedly, and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us. By bringing upon us a great calamity, for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O oh, our God, 
Listen to the prayer of your servant, and it is pleased for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is the living and active word of the living and true God. Please receive it as such and be seated. In the book, the New Testament book, uh, to the Hebrews, the author is dealing with a very discouraged and discomforted people, the saints of God, those who were frightened of the opposition which has arisen against them, the persecution which they are facing. And they were being tempted to fall back into the old forms of their life and worship. And in so doing, this would have denied the sufficiency of Christ as their complete Savior. The first ten chapters of the book of Hebrews is devoted to showing the supremacy, the complete sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the, the betterness, if you will, of the new covenant which he has brought. Yet in chapter 11, to encourage these saints in their faith, he points to the faith of the Old Testament saints who had gone before them and points out their way of life and says to emulate that even as they are to look to Christ, their Savior. Among this list are those Old Testament greats, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and David, all of which are commended greatly for the faith which they have. And certainly there is much to commend. We can think of Abraham, who left his home and his family to pursue the Lord and was willing to even sacrifice his own son, his only son, in obedience to the Lord's command. Joseph received visions. He was a servant of the Lord who was faithful even though he was sold into slavery. And yet, he was faithful in Egypt. He was obedient to the Lord his God. Moses was zealous for the Lord and for his worship. And he led the people out of Egypt. David was a man after God's own heart, slaying the giant and being faithful in exile from his king and being persecuted by him. All of these men are to be commended and recommended for their faith. Yet they may also be noted for their failures. And Scripture gives us these indications. Abraham did not trust the Lord, and he lied about his wife. And he sought to fulfill the covenant through his flesh and not by faith. Joseph was faithful in Egypt, but he also received visions and he bragged about them to his brothers, which got that tension and that situation that they had. Moses failed to circumcise his own son and he struck the rock in anger. David infamously committed adultery and murdered his loyal servant. Now, I don't name all of these sins to disparage these Old Testament saints. Rather, I think Scripture gives us these examples of faith, faithfulness, and failure 
to humble us and to remind us of our need for the grace and mercy of the Lord and how we need to depend on him. To a man, all of these giants of the faith experience their own tempers and times of unfaithfulness. And I think the Lord puts this before us to help us grow in our own faith when we're in those situations of failure. But if there's any father of the faith who seems to have a clean record in Scripture, I think that it would have to be Daniel, the prophet. He gets a large amount of attention and space in Scripture, yet time and again he proves himself to be dependent on the Lord and faithful in his service. This is why, as we talked about at the beginning of the sermon series, Christians will look at this book and talk about dare to be a Daniel, as somebody who's to emulate. And I'm not going to say that that's wholly wrong, that I think the Lord does give us Daniel as an example of how to live faithfully in exile, how to traverse the streets of Babylon by relying on the Lord in faith. But it can be wrong-headed if we just look at him as a moral exemplar instead of pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ and his sufficiency. But in this text, I want to ask, what does Daniel have to say about himself? How does he view himself in relation to God's people and in the sight of the Lord God? These are the kind of questions that this text has for us to ask. In this passage of Scripture, we get an intense and an intimate view into the devotional life of Daniel, an insight into how he views his own sins and the sins of God's people and their relation to the Lord. Put simply, this text teaches us that we have all sinned, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that all of us are dependent on the covenantal mercy of God and His grace, which is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to depend on the Lord and His covenant promises every much as bit as Daniel did. So we're going to see all this by looking through Daniel's prayer. And we're just going to consider it from two points today. We'll consider his prayer, one, in the posture of his prayer, how he sees himself and mindset towards the Lord and how he presents himself to the Lord. And that's verses 1 through 11. And then we're going to look at the passion of prayer, the passion that Daniel brings as he pleads for the Lord's mercy. And that's verses 12 through 19. So let's look at that first point, the posture of prayer. As is common in Daniel, as we've come to see, he indicates what date this um, happened and the context by referencing the reign of the current king. Here he writes, in the first year of Darius, the son of Hosseras, by descent, Amid. Now we've already met Darius in chapter 5. There we said that this could possibly be another name for Cyrus. Some scholars think that, or some think it could have been his uncle, or others even one of his generals who ruled for him. In the end, we don't know for certain who it is. Now, depending on the translation which you are looking at in your Bible, it might say Ahasuerus, like the ESV, or if you're reading the NIV, it might say Xerxes. This is because Xerxes is just the Greek equivalent of Ahasuerus, of the Hebrew that. One thing that's important for us to note in that, and why I think it can be confusing having the translation of Xerxes, is because then we can confuse it with the later king 
in the book of Esther, who we meet, who is named Xerxes, and he's the first. This is not the same um, person. That is a later date. So it's just important to note that if you have that translation in your Bibles. The name itself, Xerxes, or Hasaras, it, it seems to, uh, best scholars can determine, actually might have been a throne name, which actually means hero among rulers. Um, so it's not surprising if we see different people with that same title or name. All of that is to say that Daniel is indicating that this prayer took place in 539 or 538 BC, a significant year, because this is the year when the Persians conquered Babylon. And this is when the Lord had put the writing on the wall, as it were, and sent Cyrus to destroy the Babylonian kingdom. This dating is important because it helps us understand Daniel's prayer and the motivation behind it. Verse 2 states that in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations, namely 70 years. The first thing we should note, and this is pretty astonishing if you listen to claims of liberal scholars, Daniel's view of Jeremiah's writings. Jeremiah is an older contemporary of Daniel, but here Daniel is looking at his writings and he is putting it on the same level as the law of Moses. And that level is the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah. It's, it's astonishing how early he's recognizing this as scripture. It reminds one of Peter recognizing Paul and his scriptural authority. It's, it's a very wonderful text to appreciate God's authoritative word. Second, we see that Daniel is applying this authoritative word, the prophecy of Jeremiah, to his current situation, the current situation of the people of God. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 25, the Lord declares Nebuchadnezzar to be his servant, an instrument of punishment to his rebellious people, and he's going to send Nebuchadnezzar to punish them. By the Babylonians, the Lord, as we have talked about, would make Jerusalem a desolation, a wasteland, and that it would stay this way, Jeremiah prophesied, for 70 years, at which point then he would bring judgment on Babylon and its king. In a similar way, in Jeremiah 29, the Lord has uh, Jeremiah write a letter from Jerusalem to the exiles, like Daniel, who were in Babylon. And in that letter, he says in verse 10, Jeremiah 29, verse 10, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. This timeline of 70 years likely began in 605 B.C., remember when Daniel, that's how the book starts, at that time when Daniel was captured and taken into Babylonian captivity. That's likely when that 70-year timeline started for Jeremiah. Now, some 67 years later, in 538 B.C., with Babylon having just been conquered by the Persians, Daniel perceives that those 70 years... The fulfillment of that prophecy is nigh at hand. And what's he do? Daniel goes to the Lord 
in prayer on the basis of his promise, on the basis of his authoritative word, and he brings this promise to the Lord. So we read in verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. This is how you seek the Lord. You seek the Lord in prayer on the basis of His authoritative Word. The promises, His covenantal promises, which He gives to His people. And that is how we seek His face, by coming to Him in prayer and in faith. Daniel has been living in exile for over 60 years. He has seen the Babylonians conquered, and he has calculated the years in accordance with God's Word through his prophet. He therefore now goes to the Lord and seeks his face on the basis of these promises. And this is no sort of perfunctory prayer, but it's a pointed prayer based in the promises of God and performed in a posture of profound humility. He seeks the Lord's face through prayer and supplication, clothed in sackcloth, goat's hair or camel's hair, rough, not comfortable, dark, covered in ashes. These are biblical marks, as you may know, of mourning, of repentance, and of profound humility. And notice how he begins this prayer. He says in verses 4-5, through I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, and keep his commandments. We have sinned and have done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Here we see he's not only thinking about Jeremiah's prophecies, but he also echoes um, Deuteronomy chapter 7 about the Lord who keeps covenant love with his people, those who love him and keep his commandments. And I love how he addresses the Lord here as great and awesome. Even as Pastor Joel talked about earlier, fear of the Lord. God is awesome. We use that term. Children, we use this term when our parents get something we kind of like. Awesome. We have pizza for dinner or something. No, the only one who's truly worthy of being called awesome, fearsome, is the Lord. This is what's proper for him. Because he is the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer of us. You can still say awesome, but just remember that the Lord is the height of awesomeness. Daniel comes to the Lord pleading in prayer and making confession to the Lord. He begins by praising God for who He is in Himself, the great and awe-inspiring God. But he also talks about who He is to His people and His covenantal dealings with them. The covenant-keeping God, loving those who love Him and keep His commandments. From this ascent of praise of the awesome God, Daniel descends to the awful sins of his people, confessing that he and they have sinned and done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned aside from his commandments and rules. Daniel seems to use every possible verb he can think of to describe the sin and rebellion of God's people. Daniel also 
in calling out these sins and rebellion, notice how he includes himself among them and he incriminates himself with them. This sinful rebellion is described further as not listening to the prophets who spoke in his name. He spoke not in secret. He didn't just send the prophets to the kings, to the rulers, to the judges. He did send it to the kings, the princes, and the fathers, but he also sent it to all the people of the land. Not only did the Lord give his covenantal law for all to know, but he also gave prophets to proclaim that law and to apply it to the current situation, yet they did not listen. They rebelled. God's people are guilty of open rebellion against the clearly expressed will of their Lord and Redeemer. Each had turned aside to his own ways, worshiping and serving the creature rather than the Creator and Redeemer. For this reason, Daniel declares that righteousness belongs to the Lord, but shame of face, open shame, public shame belongs to the people of God. From those in Jerusalem to those who have been banished far away, from the king to the peasant, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And God is being blasphemed because of the sin of his people. He's being spoken against. So while shame of face belongs to God's people, Daniel also says righteousness belongs to the Lord. But not only righteousness belongs to the Lord, but also mercy and forgiveness, as Daniel says. The righteous God has not totally cut off his people and condemned them, but he has preserved them even in their exile and has promised to them an exodus from the exile of their sin and misery. Even as we've seen little portraits of this in God's deliverance of Daniel from the lion's den and the deliverance of Daniel's friends from the fiery furnace, these all look forward to the deliverance which he will bring from this exile, but ultimately the exodus from our sin and misery which only the Lord Jesus Christ can bring. All of this is pointing towards that. The Lord is righteous in all his acts, but he is also merciful and he's forgiving. This is despite the fact, as Daniel confesses in verses 10 through 11, that all Israel has not listened to the words of the prophets and has transgressed the law of the Lord, refusing to obey his voice. It's good here to pause and reflect on what, what we have been taking little pieces of throughout this, the posture of Daniel, his mindset, and how he presents himself to the Lord. It's good now to reflect on his posture of prayer. Throughout this prayer, notice that Daniel does not speak in the third person, they and them. Daniel speaks in the first person, plural, we and us. We have sinned. The Lord has brought this judgment on us. He identifies with the people of God, and he understands that in his heart, he too is a sinner. Upon first reading this, we might be tempted to say, what are you talking about, Daniel? Your record's spotless. You fasted from the king's feasts. 
You have testified before kings boldly, and you have faced the fierce lions. Truly, if there is anyone that is above reproach, it's you, Daniel. But Daniel knows his own heart. And Daniel identifies himself for the people of God. He is every much dependent on the mercy and forgiveness of the Lord their God. Instead of coming to God and thanking him that he's not like other men, even other believers, Daniel's posture is one of saying this, Thank you, Lord, that despite the fact that I am just like every other man, that your covenantal love and mercies endure forever. That's Daniel's posture, that he is in need of the Lord's mercy, and he's interceding on behalf of the people of God who have rebelled against the Lord. All this, too, needs to be our posture in prayer. First, we must be struck by the greatness of God, his awesomeness. Then, in light of that, be humbled by our own sin. And finally, we must passionately plead with the Lord on the basis of his promises, which brings us to our second and last point. We have just considered the posture of prayer. Now let us look at the passion of prayer. So far, we've talked about a prayerful posture of humility, namely. But prayer is not only a posture, but it's also personal. And as such, it requires passionate pleas based on the promises of God and on his authoritative word. That passion is not something that we merely work up in ourselves. It stems from a personal relationship with the Lord, identifying ourselves with the people of God and reflecting on the word of God by the ministry of the Holy Spirit who brings us into conviction. This is what we pray for each week when we do our confession of sins and we ask for the Lord to be present, to be working in us and to bring about faith in the promises of the gospel and a true gospel repentance. And it's the work of God's grace in our hearts. This is what we pray for in and out. Passion in prayer comes through the promises of God's word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So in verses 11 and 13, Daniel is reflecting on the law of God as given through Moses, the servant of the Lord. He talks about the oath, curse, and calamity which has come on the people of God, as was warned about by the law of God itself. In Deuteronomy 29, a text which Daniel echoes here, the Lord promises to bring the curses which are written in the book of his law on those who stubbornly, stubbornly forsake the word of the Lord, do not repent, and think that they will escape the just God's judgment. It's for those who are stubborn in their sin and rebellion and who refuse to repent to the Lord and trust in his covenantal promises. Daniel is saying that this is exactly what has taken place. Individually and collectively, the people of God have forsaken the law of God, have not heeded his word of warning, and as a result, they've experienced all these curses of the law for disobedience. So Daniel states in verse 12 that all of what has happened to them has happened in confirmation of the word of God, exactly as he said. Now, this great thing has happened to Jerusalem, which Daniel says is unlike anything which has happened under the heaven. Yet, despite all of this, Daniel states in verse 13, Yet, 
we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. God's chastisement is to lead to repentance. Despite his warning in the law, despite coming under the punishment of the Lord, despite these almost 70 years in exile, they have not yet turned from their sin and repented. Daniel is saying that despite God's goodness in redeeming them and making them his people, despite his warning of what would happen if they broke covenant with him, and despite the fact that his word has been confirmed through the present punishment which they're facing, even still they have not yet repented of their sin and turned to the Lord in faith. Because of all this, Daniel can confess in verse 14 that the Lord our God is righteous and all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. He understands that they have been faithless, and that the Lord has been faithful all along to his covenant, even in judgment. By the Lord's grace, though, and by the power of his Spirit, and through the ministry of his word, Daniel has come to understand this truth, and he's coming now to confess to the Lord. But what now? Does Daniel despair over his condition and the state of the people of God? Does he give up hope and say, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? No. He goes to that same word of God and bases his passionate plea in the promises of God. In verse 15, he first reminds himself and praises the Lord that he has shown himself to be the Redeemer, bringing their fathers out of the land of Egypt with a strong and mighty arm. And in so doing, he made a name for himself, showing all the nations his strength and his steadfast love to his people. Despite this strong act of salvation, Daniel confesses that we, the people of God, have sinned and done wickedly. In doing this, Daniel acknowledges the sins of God's people, but he also indicates that the Lord's name and glory are involved in this. He is implicated in this. Jerusalem, God's holy city, and his people have become a byword, a laughingstock, a word of derision among all those who surround them. So at the same time as he's acknowledging the righteousness of God's acts, He's also calling for the mercy of the Lord, that he would remove his anger and his wrath from his city called by his name. Notice now the passion of Daniel's plea, calling on the Lord first to open his ears, saying in verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Daniel has said that we did not listen to the voice of the Lord. And now, coming to the word of the Lord, he calls on the Lord to listen to the plea of your servant based on your word. Here, Daniel is performing a priest-like role of intercession, calling on the Lord to show mercy to his people, even as Moses did before him. Yet not only this, but Daniel is asking this for the sake of the Lord's name and his glory, which is being spoken against because of the sins 
of his people. By praying in this way, Daniel was not being presumptuous, but is paying attention to God's word and laying hold of its precious promises. Even as God promised to Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7.14, saying, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Very similar language that Daniel is now seeking the Lord's face in prayer and confessing sin. It's exactly what's happening here. Daniel has humbled himself in sackcloth and ashes. He has sought the Lord's face in prayer, has confessed his sin and the sin of his people, and is now calling on the Lord to hear from heaven, to forgive their sins, and to restore their land. In this priestly-like intercession, notice how Daniel alludes to the Aaronic benediction. He calls on the Lord to make his face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Solomon had asked the Lord to regard the prayer of his servants who prayed towards the temple. But now the temple is laid desolate. So Daniel turns his face to the Lord and seeks him in prayer, seeks his face and asks him to make his face to shine upon his sanctuary, the place which is called by his name. Daniel has just talked about the ears and having God open his ears, metaphorical language, anthropomorphic. Now he transitions to the eyes and he says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Daniel asked the Lord to open his ears and hear the plea from mercy based on his promises to do so. And now he calls on the Lord to open his eyes to see the desolation of his city, which is called by his own name. Having already confessed the, the desperation of his people and their sin and misery, he now calls on the Lord to see the desolation of his and their city. But notice that he bases this plea again on the glory of the Lord and for the sake of his name. He explicitly states that we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Daniel has already confessed that they do not have a righteousness of their own upon which to stand, but they rely on the mercy of their covenant Lord alone. And that's what we all rely on. Finally, he summarizes one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in verse 19, this passionate plea of God's servant. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is the passion of prayer. Daniel comes before the Lord, having been convicted by his word and has pleaded with the Lord on the basis of his promises, seeking to maintain and magnify the glory of the Lord. In our own prayers, we need to come as those who have been convicted of our sins 
by God's word, as those who are relying on the comfort of God's covenantal promises and asking to be conformed to his law and his image as his face shines upon us, even as we behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ, our Savior. In this passage of Scripture, Daniel portrays the the posture and passion of prayer. He has been convicted by God's word and is seeking the comfort of the gospel, knowing that it comes not on the basis of his own righteousness, but because of the great mercy of the Lord. Jesus Christ is our great high priest, both in his estate of humiliation and exaltation. On earth, Jesus taught us to pray, What? Father, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. On earth, Jesus prayed to the Father that not His will be done, but the Father's. Jesus prayed to the Father to forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus prayed to the Father to keep those who you have given to me and who are called by your name. In heaven, Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. Jesus has identified with us in our misery, entering into this estate of sin and misery for us and for our salvation. Unlike Daniel and unlike us, Jesus became like us in every way, yet without sin. Jesus does not merely experience the curse of the covenant with us, but he himself became that curse for us. As Jesus passionately pleads with the Father, he does not point to the desolation of the physical Jerusalem, but points to the desolation which happened to him on the cross for us and for our salvation. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus is indeed our great high priest, able to sympathize with us in all our weaknesses, yet able to save us from all of our sins and weaknesses. Let us look to him in faith and trust in the mercy of God and glorify him in this for his name's sake, not for our own righteousness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that you give us your authoritative word, which cuts us down but can also build us up. We thank you for your promises of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that through your word this evening, that we would be convicted of our sins, but we would also be comforted by your provision in Christ. And more and more, help us to die unto sin and live unto righteousness for your glory, for your name's sake, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, saying, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O our God, because your city and your people are called by your holy name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray now. Amen. In response to the reading and preaching of God's word, would you stand and sing with me hymn 298, Comfort, Comfort, Ye My People.